This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Generation Anthropocene is supported by Stanford School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Sciences. Find out more at earth.stanford.edu. We're also supported by Worldview Stanford, whose mission is to create interdisciplinary learning experiences for professionals. To learn more about Worldview, visit worldview.stanford.edu. 4.6 billion. The Earth forms. Cambrian. 542 million. Complex life explodes. Permian Triassic. 251 million. 90% of species die. Cretaceous tertiary. 65 million. Meteor kills the dinosaurs. 55 million. Primates appear. 2.3 million. Pleistocene. 200,000. Humans. 20,000. Agricultural. 250. Industrial revolution. Great acceleration. The Anthropocene. Welcome to Generation Anthropocene, where we tell stories of people, the planet, and people on the planet. I'm Mike Osborne. Today's episode is brought to us by Reed Levinson, a student who traveled to Mongolia last summer to study the ritual of sky burial. At the heart of Reed's journey is a question about how sacred human rituals might be affected by the accelerated changes we're seeing in the Anthropocene. Before we get to the story, a quick producer's note. This piece is a collaboration between Generation Anthropocene and the Stanford Storytelling Project. Okay, here's Reed Levinson. The main bus station in Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia, is starting to get hot. People are texting, swatting flies, sometimes both. The men tap their riding boots on the fractured cobblestones. Women in shiny ballet flats, red-cheeked children cling on to their pant legs. I see a man in a button-down shirt, clutching a briefcase and typing madly on his cell phone. Good morning. This is my translator, Gunbat. Today, I've asked him to show me a burial. We set off for half an hour and get off at a meat market at the far end of the city a grungy neighborhood with no running water or electricity. It's one of the many gare districts, places where families who've just moved to the city set up their nomadic gares or yurts. It's Sunday and everyone is out and about buying produce for the week. We walk north, away from the hubbub. Passing cars kick up dust on the dirt road. We squeeze between a break in the fence and keep walking. There are three funeral practices in Mongolia. Cremation, burial, and what I've come to see, sky burial. 
The name sky burial is a bit of a contradiction. The Mongolian translates to open air burial. In reality, bodies aren't buried, but instead wrapped in a white shroud and left on a mountainside for vultures to eat. To do it properly, you need to go somewhere remote, some piece of untouched nature, which is a problem if you live in a bustling city. These hills are where city dwellers come to do open-air burials. It's close enough for families who can't afford to travel into the countryside, and far enough not to be a hygiene issue for anyone around. Yeah, I think it's good spots around here. Or so we were told. What we find is completely different. Families have moved into the graveyard on the hillside, and their cows graze among the headstones. Trash fills the space where streams usually flow. This is not the sort of place you'd want to leave a loved one, or anyone, really. Okay, wherever I go. <laughs> Have yourself some tea, if you like. To figure out what's going on, I ask an expert on Mongolian funerary traditions. I've always been interested in death. Christine Murphy is a graduate student at UCSB, writing her PhD on how developments affecting religious tradition in Mongolia. We meet in a cafe. Christine says sky burials used to be the perfect fit, to both the spirituality and the geography of Mongolia. If you have diggable land with lots of worms, it'll decompose in the ground. But, you know, when you look at the Gobi, where the sand moves so quickly, it's harder to bury. When you look up north, where there's a layer of permafreeze, it's harder to bury. If you've got a lot of trees, you can burn them, you can cremate it. If you have no trees, it's harder to cremate. In the past, leaving a dead body on a hillside wasn't a problem in Mongolia. Given the lack of human population density in Mongolia, you're not likely to stumble across a body in the countryside, so it's also not a hygiene issue, and it's not socially or culturally problematic because it's so big here. You can leave a body and no one will come across it. Ulaanbaatar was built for 50,000 people. Today, the population is 1.7 million. As the population exploded, the city expanded. Hillsides that used to be remote enough to leave a body now make up someone's backyard. What it used to be remote, far away from the city, is now smack dab in the middle of a major residential area. It's getting more difficult and more expensive to do an open-air burial, but people try anyway. Christine, like many researchers, isn't sure where open-air burials originated. We know that the tradition has been practiced in Mongolia for centuries, since the introduction of Buddhism. As far back as the 7th century, texts from Tibet tell stories of zombies. The vultures are so strong that if one took one hand and the other took the other hand, they could physically lift the body up in the air, jerking it back and forth. And so some people think that the tradition of like these zombie stories that are in Tibetan texts from like the 7th century come from being out in the countryside and seeing this dead body dancing around because they're a bird on either side. But historical customs changed drastically in 1921 when Mongolia had a communist revolution with the help of the Soviet Russians. During the Soviet period, open-air burials were considered to be unhygienic. They were considered to be religious, which was bad, superstitious, and backwards. Communist rhetoric talks a lot about hygiene, it talks a lot about progress. So anything that doesn't seem to be very sterile and forward-moving is considered antiquated, inappropriate, and potentially dangerous. Mongolia was communist until 1992, and the stigma of sky burials as backwards still hangs around. Many view the tradition as a threat to public health, and their right to worry. As more and more Mongolians move from the countryside into UB, the practice of leaving a body out is causing problems. Citing hygiene concerns, the municipal government passed an ordinance last year that makes sky burials illegal in and around UB. 
The fine is equivalent to three months' wages. But Ganbat heard rumors that people still leave bodies here, in the graveyard, in violation of the ordinance. So here we are. As we walk, Ganbat explains just why the tradition is so important to Mongolia. We are Buddhist and we, uh, we believe that we will be reborn and that death is something, uh, one phase of life is finished and you are moving on to the next uh, phase. More than 80% of Mongolians are Buddhist, and the idea that souls are reincarnated after death is a core belief to Buddhism. But in Mongolia, reincarnation isn't a passive process. Worse, it's not guaranteed that you will transition to the next life. Souls can stick around and become unhappy and potentially destructive ghosts. All ties to your past life, clothes, books, shoes, must be destroyed lest they distract your soul from moving on. Sky barrels are important because they allow the body to be completely consumed. All traces of a person's previous life disappear, and their spirit is free to continue on to its next life. But this also means that it's really hard to find evidence of where sky barrels might still be happening. As we walk, Gunbat chants mantras to ward off the ghosts of souls that might still be attached to this earth. I find myself walking a bit faster, glancing around at the gravestones, wondering if I too should learn these mantras. It starts to rain and the wind picks up. Little droplets make their way past my rain jacket and I shiver. We're feeling pretty down about not being able to find any evidence of sky burial, and I want to talk to someone who's seen one. <laughs> Zogbadrach and Tuya are a couple in their 50s. Zogbadrach is one of Ganbat's best friends. He left the countryside 20 years ago and came to UB for work. I'm sitting on a big leather couch facing a flat screen TV. His wife, Tuya, offers me little candies and a mug full of eilig, or fermented mare's milk. It's a Mongolian delicacy slightly alcoholic, and, to me, tastes like vomit. Tsogbadrach begins the story. Ten years ago, Tuya's mother has just died. Ten years ago, our mother-in-law passed away, and the whole family came together to discuss what to do next. At that time, this tradition was being revived, and open-air burials were very popular. We checked with an astrologer, Lama, and he said an open-air burial would bring the best karma, so that's how we decided. An astrologer Lama is a very special Lama, trained in the mathematics of reading horoscopes. The astrologer Lama asks the family for the mother's birth date and the date and time of death. Using an ancient text called the Altan Gobi, the Lama triangulates these two dates. The Lama tells Sogbadrach if he wants a good reincarnation for his mother-in-law, open-air burial is the best chance. But Sogbadrach is nervous. He's lived in UB for 35 years, never seen or heard of sky burials. For me, I felt a bit strange because it was the first time I'd heard about an open-air burial, so I felt a bit nervous. Mongolians believe the soul is in limbo for 49 days after death. If good karma is generated during this limbo period, she will get a good reincarnation. So the Lama gives detailed instructions to the family, hoping for the best karma. On Monday, at 10 a.m., she passed away. We buried her maybe on a Wednesday, very quickly. We selected this place at the foot of a mountain, facing the sun. 
The Lama said it had to happen before sunrise, before the sun came up and hit that spot. We had this Korean Star X van, and those who were born in a compatible animal year were allowed to go. We had a board, a wooden board, and some planks, and we used them to move her body. According to the astrology, open burials have to happen in the morning. Sogbad Rach and his wife wake up early to drive outside the city. So the body was laid on the ground, and the Lama stood at the head. And the Lama said to everyone, don't be afraid, this is normal. Because for many people it was their first time seeing a sky burial, and they were nervous. They drive as instructed, expecting to arrive at a pristine, remote mountainside. What they find is the exact opposite. When we saw the site, it was, it was a grisly sight. There were bodies, people without heads, hands. We saw it, a, a terrible sight. And birds were coming, and we watched. They were carrying some limbs, taking some, flying back. Sogbadrach tells me that the vultures know who has good karma and who has bad karma. On the far hillside, neighbors watch with binoculars to see how long the bodies go uneaten. When there weren't enough vultures to eat his mother-in-law, neighbors began rumors that his mother was a simple person. She must have had bad karma, they said. Vultures aren't eating her. Sogbarach and Tuya tried to do the right thing. They followed the astrologer Lama's instructions, trying to bring the best karma to their mother's soul and to their family. But Sogbarach says the experience was awful. They were disturbed by what they saw, and worse, neighbors began rumors that ruined his mother's reputation. Sogbadrach says open-air burials have no place in a city like UB. Banning this for the city, it was the right thing to do. We've been out here all day searching for evidence of sky burials. We see a small guardhouse and decide to investigate. A sign next to the guardhouse says, by the district police department, open burials are not permitted in the municipality of UB. Beneath the sign sits a guard, a woman in her 40s. She puts down her magazine to chat with us. She's wearing a t-shirt and loose sweatpants, her hair tied up in the heat. She explains that the city government pays her to watch over the cemetery. Do people still do open-air burials here, we ask? She says, none, no more open burials happen here. Yeah, she says, uh, not, not so much open burials is done, almost zero, he says. But I think she's afraid, I think. Okay. She thinks that we're inspecting her work. Ganbat is unconvinced. He thinks she's lying. Yeah, so it's everything's good, she says. Uh, she's okay. kind of like reporting to us. Despite spending an entire summer in Mongolia and investigating multiple leads and hillsides, I wasn't able to see a sky burial. I learned that, just like in any culture, funerals are private things. Observing something that private, the neighbors watching with binoculars, it just doesn't leave families with a good feeling. It's bad for karma. But there was one aspect I still had yet to investigate, the vultures. Thank you for calling the Coping Center for Conservation Learning at Hawk Mountain Sanctuary. If you know your party's extension, you may enter it at any time. For Dr. Keith Bilstein, dial 108. For Dr. Lori Goodrich, dial There's another problem facing sky burials. As more and more people move to the city, the nomadic way of life is changing. As Mongolia urbanizes, vulture populations are threatened. 
I talk with Dr. Keith Bildstein. Hello, this is Keith. Keith directs the Conservation Science Program at Hawk Mountain Sanctuary in Pennsylvania. I learned from Keith that vultures have a much more intimate relationship with people than I ever realized. People have been leading vultures around because they've been herding sheep and cattle and goats for a long time, thousands of years. As scavengers, vultures' role in the food chain is to take out the trash. As people migrate, vultures follow, eating everything we leave behind, animals and humans included. Survival based on eating our trash, Keith explains, becomes an issue when we make our trash toxic. When people start providing veterinary drugs to the herds of cattle, they run the risk that those veterinary drugs may be toxic to the birds. When societies transition from nomadic to rural agriculture, herders begin to use veterinary drugs to stop diseases from spreading between closely packed animals. So far, Mongolia has been safe from the harmful effects of these veterinary drugs. In the countryside, culture remains nomadic, and herders don't need agricultural drugs. The lack of the veterinary drugs' widespread use in Mongolia is something I guess you could say is a godsend. But I wonder what will happen to the birds as Mongolia continues to industrialize. Almost certainly, it's not going to have a positive effect. Whether it will have a negative effect will depend upon the drugs involved and the vultures' vulnerability to these drugs. Sometimes doing things the old-fashioned way are actually a lot better for the environment. The future does not look pretty for Mongolia's vultures. As we continue to load our bodies with life-extending drugs, we are making the world more dangerous for its vultures. One of the last things I did in Mongolia, I had my horoscope read. I pull out the spreadsheet I was given by the astrologer Lama. I still don't understand the mathematics, just the output. Underground burial. I guess I'm a little disappointed. After all, I've been studying sky burials for the last half year, and there's still something magical for me in the idea of giving yourself so completely back to nature. In Mongolia, the rules don't matter. It's not about sky burials themselves. It's about karma the sum of a person's actions, and how people will find ways to pay it forward when they can no longer give their bodies to animals. Thanks to Reed Levinson for bringing us that story and to Leslie Chang for additional production work. Reed's story was made possible in part by support from the Stanford Storytelling Project, Bruce Braden, the Stanford Anthropology Department, Julie Kennedy, and the Stanford Earth Systems Program. Generation Anthropocene is Miles Traer, Leslie Chang, and me, Mike Osborne. Our theme music is by Maserati. We want to thank Pam Matson, Dean of Stanford's School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Sciences. We also want to thank Tom Hayden, Our website is genanthro.com, and you can find us on Twitter, at genanthropocene. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.